Let us open God's Word to John chapter 8. I'm reading from NIV version. Chapter 8, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the word of God. Trust you got your communion elements that we'll have at the end of our service today. If you didn't get one on the way in, then certainly one of the stewards will be able to come and help you with that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the opportunity we have to bow our heads to still our hearts, to focus our minds on you and on your word. Lord, speak to us, teach us, remind us of truths we already know, enlighten us with new truths that we may not have seen before. Heavenly Father, have your way in each of our lives, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Only Jesus makes... Us free. We continue our series through the Gospel of John. I hope you've been enjoying the Gospel of John. I most certainly have been. Uh, let me say this as well. Pastor Charlie is, this is his last day of holidays. He returns to work tomorrow. Yippee. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, but he's returning to all of the pastors are away this week. Uh, well, for four days this week, Monday to Thursday, we're at the QB convention and then the assembly on Thursday. So pray for us and some of the matters that are coming before the convention and the assembly. And some of those matters will uh, impact us as a church, but also all of the local churches. Um, yeah, so pray for that. Um, and do you, where's Coralie? Do you know the name of the man that we're hassling? No, I don't. Um, sorry? Bob. I once sent a text to somebody, and I don't know who it was, but it was, say it was Coralie, that'll do, it wasn't, but imagine it was, and I said, dear Coralie, blah, 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 text came back, this is not Coralie. <laughs> I checked the number and I went, sorry, have a nice day. And then I think he replied, they replied to that, and then I replied to that, and this is what happens, isn't it? Only Jesus makes us free. In the Gospel of John, John has very, from a human perspective, John has very cleverly constructed his Gospel uh, to emphasise and to repeat and to drive home certain basic truths. Basically, who Jesus is, the Son of God. Son of man, Son of God, the one who came and died for us in order that we could believe in him, in order that we could be forgiven for our sins. He says it in all different sorts of ways and he says it rather deeply, and he does it again in this passage that we're looking at this morning. We're just looking at the middle paragraph, verses uh, 31, 30, 31 to 36, 
where Jesus makes this, again, incredible statement. You'll find out from verse 20 in chapter 8 that this is all happening in the temple. Last week's talk about where Jesus says, are you thirsty? Come to me and drink. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit filling us and overflowing from us our our lives and that impacting and blessing others. Hope you had a good week. I hope that was some of your experience for this week. Um, This is all happening in the temple. John chapter 8 verse 20, you'll find out in the court of the women. So chapter 7 and chapter 8 is Jesus with one large teaching segment. And as you read it through, you can see that various people are responding uh, in all different sorts of ways. Um, There are three groups of people there. As Jesus is teaching for quite some time, some people come to believe in him, like it says here in verse 30. Other people had sort of believed in him, but not to the point of serious commitment. They liked him, they thought about him, and they believed him academically, mentally, but not in terms of personal commitment. And Jesus could tell the difference. And that's why he goes on to instruct this morning's lesson. But there are other people present as well who didn't believe in him. They point blank rejected him. They, in fact, would rather get rid of him. They were plotting and planning to do so. And six months later, of course, they would do exactly that. Here is the summary, if you like, of where we are at to this point, just before we jump into this paragraph, and a summary of it, if you like. It's a big sentence. We are all slaves to sin within. But if we truly believe in Jesus and continue in his teaching, then we will know the truth and we will be free, really free. That's what Jesus is teaching, and that's certainly what he is offering here. But it's based upon some premises, some truths. We are all slaves to sin. Oh, there, I wrote it out. I didn't realize I had. But if we truly believe in Jesus and continue in his teaching, it's not just believe, you might be one of these people, and I'd be surprised if you don't know some folks who say they believe, but they don't do anything about it. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. doesn't impact their life. They believe academically. They believe he's historically real. They can even say that he is Lord. They can say the words, but it, they don't mean it. They think it. They obviously agree with what they're saying, but it's not appropriated to their life. And the proof is, Jesus says, if you believe in me, if we believe in Jesus, and continue, if you grab a hold of, if you embrace, if you abide and remain in his teaching, which means, implies, doing it, continuing in his teaching in terms of obedience, then you'll know the truth. It's like a spiral. You continue to learn truth, and then you apply it, and then you'll learn more truth, and you apply that, and your life will be free. Three or four truths for this morning. Number one, we're all slaves of sin. We may not describe ourselves that way, but Jesus certainly does. And this crowd, they respond by saying, what do you mean slaves? We're not anybody's slave. We're free. Which is a strange thing for the Jewish people to say because they hadn't been free since the Assyrian and Babylonian captivity. They'd always had somebody who was ruling over them whether it was the Babylonians or the Persians or the Greeks. And at this point in time, it's the Romans. And right now, they, 
are scattered all the way throughout the land, the physical descendants of Abraham, I'm meaning. And so they objected to saying we are slaves to sin. They're quite happy to say, oh, we might dabble in an occasion. We're not slaves to sin. But the Bible teaches us, and Jesus certainly says here, point blank, that we are not free. We, if you sin, you're a slave of sin. So therefore, by definition, and we are all slaves to sin. Sin enslaves us. The opposite of freedom is where we have the ability and the choice to not sin. The opposite of that is bondage. It's slavery. It's captivity. It's under the control and the dominance of this thing called sin. Sin is more than simply something we do or something we say. Sin is certainly crossing the line and doing either that which is wrong or not doing that which is right. We understand that. But we need to understand this. Sin is not an act. Sin is a force and a power within us. We are sinners, not because we commit a sin. We commit a sin because we are sinners. See the difference? We have this thing in us, this force, this power called sin. That's our sin nature. And before we know Jesus, it rules. It dominates. It's how does sin enslave us? Well, firstly, by giving us compelling desires, desires that are very difficult for us to not give in to. Desires that rise up within us and affect the way we think, affects what we say, and it affects what we do. Sin is like a desire factory. That's why we can't remove it from us. We need an external authority to do so. Sin produces in us this compelling desire every day. And all the desires that sin produces in us is to make everything else look far more attractive and appealing than Jesus. Which is why we sin. We are fooled, we're deceived, we're lied to by the evil one. And our own sin nature deceives us. It says, you'll enjoy this, this will be pleasurable. And to one extent, sometimes it is pleasurable, but not lastingly. We want it to be, but it isn't. And so Jesus offers to us that he's, he's the only one who can to set us free from sin. To set us free from this power that is within us called sin. Sin also uh, controls us or enslaves us because if there is no intervention in our life and we are just simply left to the expression of our own sinful selves, then eventually the line, the path we're on, the destiny we will get is that it will kill us, it will condemn us, it will destroy us. That's exactly what Jesus is teaching and that's exactly what the Bible says. We cannot free ourselves from it, only the Son can, Jesus. Just like we need a surgeon who can cut out the cancer, we can't cut it out of ourselves. Just like you need a dentist to remove the decay, you can't do it yourself. Just like you need an optometrist to diagnose your eyesight, you can't do it yourself. So we need this old doctor. We need the divine physician. He is the only one who can deal with this sin. It's part of our DNA, almost. 
But there is something that he can do, and he does it just like there are two ways that sin enslaves us, so there are two ways that Jesus frees us, and we'll come to that. Even as Jesus is saying these things, some people believed in him. But there are two types of belief, and I've already alluded to this. There are those who believe in their heads outwardly. They profess faith. And there are those, secondly, who believe inwardly. It's deep within. It's life transformation. Oh, and it's a commitment. Um, I've often used this illustration, some dulled illustration. In my head, I believe that in having a cold bath, in the middle of winter is good for my health. Cold water, cold bath, middle of winter, good for your health. That's why I have such a beautiful young complexion. <laughs> because I don't have a cold bath <laughs> in the middle of winter in cold water. I think, I believe, it would be good for your health. Do I do it? Not on this planet. <laughs> See, I believe it, but I'm not committed to it. And the belief that Jesus is talking about is the second one. It's a belief where you are committed to it, that it makes a difference in your life, that you are relying on him and in him to do what he said he was going to do, and you are not trying um, any other means. You are believing in him. Back in 1824, there was a man, and you may know this man. His name was Jean-Francois Gravelet. I'm not sure of the pronunciation. He had a stage name, Blondin. Who's heard of Blondin? Oh, one, three. Um, 1824, he was born. He had a skill and a flair for doing the spectacular. He became very famous throughout Europe and America, even from a very young age. He was a, a performer. And if you go to Melbourne today, I told this story in a previous church in another lifetime, and I was telling this story, and a person came to me afterwards, and they were from Melbourne, and they said, in Melbourne, when kids walk on the fence, you know, a brick fence or whatever, you know what they call it? Blondening. Blondening? Named after this guy. He was a tightrope walker. And he's famous for walking on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. 1,100 feet long. What's that? 350 metres? Something like that. And he's 160 feet above the, air, above the ground, 50 metres up. So double the height of the roof, up, and it's 350 metres long, and he walks across Niagara Falls with a tightrope. That wasn't enough. I told you he likes the spectacular and had a, um, a, a desire to be, uh, have a flair about these things. Not only did he walk across, one time he pushed a wheelbarrow across. Another time he stopped halfway and he cooked an omelette, <laughs> which meant he carried a stove, a fry pan, the eggs, and a spatula. Unless it was just sunny side up, I guess. And then he would have, I guess, ate it, and then he continued on the other side and put it down. Another time, he carried a man on his back all the way across, and when he got to the other side, he turned around and walked back again. When he got to the other side, where this large crowd had always gathered, there was um, loud applause, and you know people were impressed and stunned and all the rest of it. And he says, I am Blondin, and everybody clapped. And he says, do you believe that I can do that for you? And they all go... 
we believe, we believe. And he looked at the man in the front and said, Ken, hop on. <laughs> to which Ken says, not in your life. <laughs> we believe, we believe. But you don't believe unless you're prepared to risk it. Put yourself on his back and trust him. Can he do it? Yes, he can. We just saw him do it. Can he do it for you? Oh, I don't think so. Who believes? The one that gets on his back. Who believes in Jesus? The one who commits their life to him. The one who is fully obedient to him. That's what the Lord Jesus is talking about. So some people came to believe in him and then Jesus turns and he says to those who had come to believe in him, Jesus takes the opportunity to say, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Notice he does not say, if you hold to my teaching, you will become my disciples. He's saying, if you're a person with heartfelt belief and commitment to him, and it's real that you are his disciple, then the manifestation of that is you will continue in his teaching. If you continue in my teaching, then you really are believing. You really are a disciple. True disciples continue in the teaching of Jesus. True disciples obey what Jesus says. That's the Great Commission. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptise them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. Teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. And the promise, and I am with you to the end of the age. True disciples obey Jesus. True disciples continue in his teaching. True disciples grow. We don't do it perfectly, but we do it. Our life is orientated towards obeying Jesus. Why should we stop doing certain things? Because Jesus said so. Why do we do certain things? Because Jesus said so. Even if the whole world disagrees, even if science disagrees, even if your friends and colleagues disagree, even if the experts in the world disagree, we follow Jesus. You just need to check your interpretation to make sure you're following what he really said and not being a crackpot, making, saying he said something that he didn't really say. True believers continue in the Lord Jesus' teaching. And if we do that, then Jesus says, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. True disciples will grow to know the truth. In Judaism, the Jewish people used to believe that the truth was in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law. If you study the Torah, the law, and if you adhere to its teaching, then you would be made free and then you would, be, you would know the truth. Here is Jesus saying to Jewish people, if you hold to my teaching, he's not dismissing the five books of the Old Testament, but he is saying, my teaching is on top of it. It points to me and this is what I am teaching you and it's to abide in his teaching. Knowing the truth is not simply assenting to propositions. It is that, but it's not just that. It's primarily knowing a person. Like a marriage. I know Rhonda. You know about her. I know her. I know what she's like. 
I know her strengths. She doesn't have any weaknesses. She wrote that down in my notes. We don't know all truth, and all truth ultimately is God's truth. We don't know all truth, but we do have a framework and we do have a foundation. And when we come to the Lord Jesus, as we continue in his teaching, then you will find that through your obedience to his teaching, it'll broaden your mind. When I first became a believer in the Lord Jesus, I saw things as black and white. Black, that's wrong. White, that's right. And if you had an opinion that was different to me, you were wrong because I had Jesus' teaching. As I have matured and learnt more about what Jesus teaches, I suddenly discover it's not just black and white. There are things that are grey. There are things that are secondary. It's not a sin to drink coffee. Oops. You may not be at that level yet of spiritual maturity, but (laughs) some people undoubtedly think it is. As you grow in the Lord Jesus, you'll find that your mind broadens, it'll increase your depth of insight, and also the clarity of your understanding will improve. Jesus will give you truth about the future. We know things that the world doesn't know. I was in a connect group of four young people, just out of year 12, university student type, on Friday night. Two of them don't know or follow Jesus. The other two do. The two that didn't follow Jesus, they're very happy to be there and to ask all sorts of questions. What happens to animals when they die? Do they go to heaven? We don't know all things. But she has a cat. And so I told her, no, cats don't go to heaven. (laughs) If you're a cat lover, it's not true. It's not serious. Bible doesn't say. What about angels? We know things. We have the truth. What about this situation? What about that situation? Is death the end? What happens after that? We know. We don't have all the details, but we know the big picture of things. We know what's happening. We know Jesus is coming back. As we continue to follow him, we know things. We'll know things about ourselves. I am learning more about myself. This week I wrote it down. I'm, Rhonda's not here, so I can say it. Hopefully she's distracted by Marnie and the things she's not listening. God has appointed me to be the righteous corrector of all of the bad drivers on the road. <laughs> it's a calling. <laughs> and so when people come too close to me from behind, I am compelled by my giftedness to slow down. (laughs) If people don't let you merge in, then I intimidate them by going extremely close. (laughs) And they are corrected. They back off. And they're very friendly. They've got all sorts of waves. They say appreciation and things that they express to me. And the Lord Jesus says to me, Daryl, when you behave like that, you're behaving like them. And I went, yes, Lord, I'm sorry, but I do enjoy it. (laughs) Please help me change. That's my sin nature. It's still there. It's not as dominant. There are days when that doesn't happen. There was a Monday, 
there was a Wednesday, and hopefully soon there'll be a Sunday. No, I am a lot better. But I was so sick. I've still got a long way to go. I am not cured. My sin nature can still rear its way up, just like it can for you. But in Jesus, if I continue in his teaching, I find that I become more tolerant, more understanding, more patient. Not all the time, but more so than I would have normally. I get to know more things about Jesus. I know more things about God. I know more things about the Bible. And like I said, I know more things about the future. How come? Well, because it's in the book. Jesus said it. And if you continue in his teaching, that'll happen for you too. That's why the Bible is so crucial and important for us. We will know the truth. Uh, You've got to do Master Life. If you haven't done Master Life, you've got to line up for it and do it. Maybe the modified version, a simplified modified version. There's too many good things in Master Life for you to miss out. Here's one of them. Rick Warren, I first got this from Rick Warren, but I found out Rick Warren got it from Master Life. Remember the hand illustration. For those of you who have done Master Life, book three, you'll know what I'm talking about. Simple, simple illustration, but so powerful. Your left hand. These are the ways that we can absorb God's teaching, continue in his teaching. We listen to it. We read it. We study it. We memorize it. We meditate upon it, think about it. And we apply it. Feel like being a volunteer? Go on. Come here for a second. Um, I'll use this one. I just want you to stand there. Here is the Bible. You ho- I'll hold the Bible. I just listen to the Bible. So I just have my little finger grip on it. That's all I've got to hold it. Take the Bible away from me. He's being Satan at the point, at the moment. (laughs) Yep, he's in black. (laughs) For those who are watching online, this is not Satan. This is Ken. He was an elder in our church. But he is a sinner. Isn't he? (laughs) I listen to it. I read it. Now I've got two hands, two fingers on it. Now try and take it off me. If I'm just listening to the Bible and just reading the Bible, it's easy for Satan to come along and take it away. Now I'm going to listen to it, read it, and study it. I'm getting more of a grip on it. Now I'm going to um, listen, read, study, and I'm going to memorise some of it. Now I'm going to... um, Think, uh, what is it? Thanks. So I got those four. I haven't got it in the grip of my hand. I just got my fingertips gripping it. So I'm listening to it. I'm reading it. Go for your life. Try your hardest. (laughs) I have to listen to it. I have to read it. I have to study it. I have to memorize it. I have to meditate upon it. And I have to do it. It's in the doing that you put it in the palm of your hand. (laughs) If you pull this out of my hand, (laughs) my illustration will be terrible. (laughs) Go for your life. Ah, you weakling. It's more difficult. Not impossible, but more difficult. Thank you. You can be so. Give him a clap, everybody.
If you continue in his teaching, listen to it, read it, study it, memorize it, meditate upon it, and do it. It's a lot more difficult for it to be removed from you, and you will grow. You'll discover the truth, and you'll learn all those things we need to hasten. There is a spiral of learning. It's here a little, there a little. One thing's built, you hear the gospel, you believe it's true, you commit yourself to it, you grow in knowing and learning truth. So you're repeating that process over and over and over. What you learn, you apply and do. And as you do it, then you continue learning and God reveals to you more light. One principle I have learned, Master Life also teaches this, I've learned it personally, and I'm sure many of you have. If I receive something, and if I just hang on to it for myself and don't pass it on to anybody else, before very long, it's gone. But I've learnt this. If I see something in the Bible and I tell somebody else about it, it's replaced and reinforced in me. So I remember what I've said, and it's then replaced. God gives me more truth. Now that applies particularly to obeying. If God tells you to do something, let's pick one. He commands us to be baptised. If you have not been baptised, that's a command that you are not obeying. And if God has said that to you, he's revealed that to you in the scriptures where you say, that is what God requires of me, and you haven't done it yet, there'll be no more revelation given to you until you do this. When you obey him, then it opens the room for more. That's like having a child and saying to them, if you eat all of your meal then you can have ice cream for dessert. But if you don't eat all the meal, do you get ice cream? You don't get anything else. That's a good rule, by the way. Parenting tip. Got it from somebody I know. How does Jesus set us free? We're slaves to sin. They give us compelling desires, and it's on a destiny, of course. How does Jesus overcome this? He overcomes the second one, their destiny, through the cross. He changes our eternal destiny. He became our substitute. He was in our place. He's taken away the penalty for our sin. We are no longer on the path headed for eternal destruction. We're on another path. We're on the narrow road headed for glory as we continue in his teaching and obey him. He overcomes the sin nature in us, our sin being enslaved to sin by our conversion. When we become committed to him and we repent, believe and receive him when we confess he is our saviour and we acknowledge he is Lord, and they're not just words, they're flowing through into our life, then his spirit in us that he gives to us, the Holy Spirit within us gives us new desires. The old is gone, the new has come. And you'll have new desires. And sometimes, like Galatians 5, these desires will fight one against the other. And your old sin nature, which is still in you, still thinks it's going to get pleasure by doing that. And slowly you will learn, over time, that that's a deception. And there's more joy in this. There's more satisfaction in being fully obedient to Jesus than in indulging in your sinful nature. There are four levels to freedom I need to hasten. Um, let me just give them to you. We are really free when these four things are true in us. This is from John Piper. I heard him say this and I was, I was so helped by it, I thought I'll pass it on to you. But you can look that up and you can um, certainly acknowledge that this is his illustration and I think it's very powerful and memorable. 
When we, we are truly free, if we have the desire, the ability and the opportunity to do what we want without regret. It's typical John Piper definition. It's deep and it's wordy. You are truly free when you have the desire, the ability and the opportunity to do whatever you want without regret. That's freedom. Then he illustrates it. He illustrates it with skydiving. And he says, and I would echo this 100%, he's never done it, he's never going to do it. And I thought, but I am going to do reverse skydiving once. I'm going to go up. It's called the rapture. That's the only time I'm going skydiving. He gives this illustration. You've got to have the desire, the ability, the opportunity, and without regrets, four levels. One builds upon the next one. Firstly, you want to go skydiving, and you're in your car, and on the way where you're going to the airport to go skydiving, um, you have a car accident, you hit a pole, and you end up in hospital. You've lost the opportunity. Second level. This time you get in your car and you're going skydiving and you make it to the airport, but you have skipped all of the classes. You have no idea really, you haven't been fully prepared for it, you just have the desire, you just want to do it. And so when you get to the airport, the instructor, because you don't have the ability to do it, you won't be allowed to do it. So you have the opportunity, but you don't have the ability. Third example, you're on your way to the airport, You've done all of the classes, you've prepared thoroughly for it. You get to the airport, the plane takes off, but the door flies open and it scares you. Now you have no desire. You don't want to jump out. Or fourthly, you go to the airport, the plane takes off, the doors open and you love it and you can't wait to jump out and you jump out and as you fall, you find out that your parachute's not going to open. Regrets. You'll regret the ending to that one. And then Piper says this. We don't have a parachute in this free fall of life. We have a saviour, Jesus. He catches us mid-fall and he will carry us, holding us till the end. And when we land with him, we will be glad. No regrets. And then he says... This is given not just for information, but this is actually Jesus giving an invitation. If you continue in my teaching, then you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. And if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. He's inviting us to be free in him. Not free to do our own sin and our own stuff, but free and linked to him, to obey him and to serve him. He basically offers to catch us halfway as we free fall through this life. And he promises to carry us and give us a safe landing at the end of the trip. But if you say no to Jesus, then good luck with the landing. Memorable, isn't it? Let's revise. There are two types of believers. Those who say it, it's in their head, they think it. One of the young guys, not a follower of Jesus yet on the Friday night group, Pray for him. <coughs> First week he was there, I was getting to know him, and I said, what do you think about Jesus? He says, um, he's a good guy, good man. Okay. Talked a little bit longer, and he said some things, and I eventually said, 
Do you think Jesus was real in history? Yep. Okay. Do you think he died on the cross? Yep. Do you think he rose from the dead? Oh, yeah. You committed to him? No. In the head. Got factual knowledge. Hasn't yet realised the implication of the factual knowledge that he actually has. So he's that far from the kingdom. It's close. Just got a spirit of God, just got to take off the blinding eyes. And it's a bit like Satan comes along and every time he hears truth, he's taking it away. He's taking it away. He's taking it away. Whoops. True disciples will hold to his teaching. The disciples, we, as we are disciples of the Lord Jesus, are free. Free from our sinful nature. Free from its power and dominion. We're not free from its presence. It's still there. Not until we get to glory. Then Jesus will remove the presence of our sinful nature from us and we'll have new glorified bodies on a new heaven and a new earth. But he's broken the power. It's, if sin is like a magnet that has got this force in us, then Jesus has turned the magnet off. But you can still use your magnet to be attracted to things. Or you can point it to Jesus if that communicates. Let's pray and then we'll have communion. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful invitation Jesus gives to set us free, to set us free from our own sin bondage and from living life alone, free-falling without a parachute, free-falling without a saviour. Lord Jesus, we want to embrace you, hang on to you, and to continue to do so. Could you help us to continue in your teaching, therefore proving that we are true disciples? And Lord, as we continue in the teaching, enlighten us. Reveal to us more and more truth in order that we might be free, free indeed. We ask and pray this in your name and for your glory. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.